It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Well, the headlines when it comes to education are usually centered and focused on the big divisive issues. But the pandemic gave us an opportunity to think about education differently. What did we learn? How should we apply it moving forward? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, the the pandemic changed all kinds of things. It changed our perspective on a whole host of things that we do in our day-to-day lives. But how did it change our perspective in terms of education policy? Really thrilled to have back on the program Christine Cook-Fairbanks. She's a fellow at the Sutherland Institute covering education policy, one of my favorite education policy thinkers. Uh, Christine, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Boyd. Thanks for having me. So give us a baseline to start from. Uh, What did the pandemic change for us as it relates to education? Yeah, the pandemic was particularly frustrating for parents of school-aged children. Um, Closed schools, a range of opinions about safety measures, whether it's too much or too little, uh, forced remote schooling, you know, had, had kind of a wide range of frustrations for parents. And the result was that parents started making a wider range of education choices um, then and even now. So the sort of long-term uh, repercussions that we've seen from, from that. Uh, and so as we come out of the pandemic, and now we're actually starting to try to figure out now, now what do we do? <laughs> I think the uh, the choices are, are expanding. Uh, the discussions are heated in a lot of spaces. But when it comes to just the overall choice issue, uh, again, what did we learn and how do we start to apply that now as it relates to policy? Right. So I think parents, the, the key point here is that parents are already making these choices. So in terms of a, a response, I mean, public policy can now take their lead. And usually, you know, public policy is downstream from what's happening or felt among the public and, you know, as it should be. And we saw that charter school enrollment growth increased significantly um, during this time, kind of from uh, when the pandemic started to to beyond. Um, The number of parents who reported themselves as homeschooling Mm. more than doubled. And that's, you know, nationally and uh, in Utah specifically from that spring 2020 to fall 2020. So that that was a big jump there. And, and we even saw these increases that were uh, really noteworthy in uh, among minority groups as well. So it, it's really kind of seeping into to different groups that are seeing the benefits, some that might not have typically been um, those demographics that you thought would make those choices. Private school enrollment, after being stagnant for years, there's been some data that shows that even they have seen a boost um, after years of kind of seeing some decline, particularly in the religious uh, private school space. So clearly some things are changing, um, and it's an opportunity and and a signal to policymakers that we ought to be supporting those choices that are already taking place. Yeah, you mentioned some of the numbers uh, coming out of that in the the minority community in particular, that the number of black families homeschooling grew five times uh, during that pandemic or during that period. 
again, it just shows so many people are saying, hey, we can we can do some of this from home or we can do this better maybe than than it has been done. Uh, so as we look at it uh, closer to home, uh, what is it that we should be looking at in terms of Utah policymakers, uh, especially with the upcoming session? Yeah, there are some policymakers that would uh, continue to, to push for education choice in the state. Um, we saw some efforts last session, um, but to really increase increase these opportunities with public support, public funds, um, something like an education savings account, which we saw in Arizona pass the first universal education savings account in 2022 in the summer. Um, and, and basically, it gives the parents a chunk of money to spend on a wide range of educational services that could be curriculum for home education. It could be private school tuition. It could be fees for exams. And it really just opens up that opportunity for parents to make those decisions. And we already see that there's that demand uh, there for it anyways. And it, I mean, in addition to this, this is this is a, a state issue, but it's it, nationally we've seen states, especially in 2021, about 18 states. Um, pass legislation to expand this. So I, I think the pandemic really just shifted the conversation uh, everywhere. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, give give us some details for our listeners. I know you spent a, a lot of time in uh, Arizona and watching the Arizona uh, Choice Bills and how they rolled out, uh, starting really with some special education services and then expanding. But just kind of give a, a broad brush for our listeners in terms of what happened down there in Arizona. You're exactly right. So it started out um, just by giving different categories of students that had a felt need to have some education choices. And over time, that demand just really grew in the state eventually making it a universal program, meaning any student in the K-12 through space can now access those funds. Um, as soon as that became live, uh, when the website became live, you know, they had just uh, almost a crash of the website because so many people were trying to apply. Uh, so, so Arizona really is an example. Uh, every state is different, has different cultures and, and needs, but it really showed that the demand was there, especially when it went universal. Yeah, and uh, just some of those examples I think are so interesting, uh, starting with, uh, you know, a, a child with autism getting, you know, funding for some speech or occupational training or uh, interaction with horses or, you know, whatever it might be that might help that individual or uh, someone in the high-functioning area, maybe someone who's in ballet or violin uh, and being able to tailor their needs uh, to maybe do deal with a, a tough schedule. Uh, so as, as you look at that moving forward, uh, how does that look in terms of Utah? I know we uh, did not pass uh, education savings accounts in the legislature last year. Uh, is this something that's still gaining traction in the state? What does that look like? Yeah, the discussion has definitely not gone away in Utah. Um, there are some legislators that would uh, love to pass that here. I think that we'll continue to, to hear more about that in the legislative session that's coming up. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's important to also recognize that there is public opinion that would suggest that people are supportive of both education choice and teacher mm. uh, raises and support for them. So uh, I, I think that people are ready to kind of invest in education as well as innovate in education and, and, and unite different policies that sometimes have been on 
separate or um, sometimes opposing ends of the spectrum. Uh, I'm so glad you raised that because uh, you you framed it just the way we like to frame it, as an and conversation, not an or conversation. Uh, I think everyone does agree that we need to increase teacher compensation, uh, that there's some more discretionary funding that can go to school districts. Uh, of course, Spencer Cox has uh, been doing a number of things that he's proposed as governor of the state of Utah uh, in that space. And I really do think that's where the vast majority of the public is. It's, it's not a either or. Let's not have the fake fight and the false choice. Uh, let's have an and conversation to make sure we're meeting the needs of students. Absolutely. Yeah, in, a, in a similar way that the pandemic was tough on parents, it was tough on teachers. You know, they, there was worries about having to go to school, getting sick, or then being forced to do uh, remote learning without very much training and then the impacts of that. And then even today, the lingering results and impacts uh, felt from those years uh, when students weren't getting uh, the education that was probably the best fit for them. So, you know, teachers are feeling it then, they're feeling it now. And I think people are ready to also support them in the ways they can. As I mentioned, there is this Education Next survey that shows that the majority of U.S. parents support both education choice as well as increased funding for public schools and pay for teacher raises. So I I think the people are there, and it will be interesting to see um, how our policymakers respond to sort of where the public is already leaning. Yeah, and then final question for you real quick, Christine. Uh, Anything else you're keeping your eye on, especially as we roll into the legislative session? I think that, you know, education choice and just that concept can be quite broad. There's even, um, you know, Idaho and Indiana have this micro-grant program. It's different from an education savings account because it's based on one-time funding. Uh, Idaho is using funds that were dedicated to COVID COVID impacts um, and and really letting parents purchase these materials uh, to aid what's happening with their public or private providers. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of approach these issues that we've seen, and it'll be exciting to see what people come up with and what innovations that they're willing to look at. Uh, fantastic. Christine Cook-Fairbanks, a fellow at the Sutherland Institute covering education policy, great writer, great thinker uh, when it comes to all things education policy. Christine, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. All right. Uh, so much to follow and so much uh, that we'll continue to watch when it relates to education. And I just love this idea that we can we can pair uh, this choice component with validating and supporting our current teachers and what's being done. Uh, And I think we can do that. I think we can lead out and kind of show the world a a Utah model when it comes to that uh, in this upcoming session. I know that uh, Candace Periucci uh, has a bill, I think, that will do just that. There'll be a lot of others that I'm sure will be in discussion as we march our way towards the legislative session. So we'll keep our eye on that. Stay tuned with us here at KSL and uh, Inside Sources. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. We'll look at Ukraine Ukrainian soldiers coming to the U.S. Find out why and what for coming up next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.